In this special episode, we focus on mentoring women. Our guest is Lucy Broadbent, the author of the article, How the Women in Ted Lasso Inspire Mentorship for Other Women. We have had the pleasure of connecting online with Lucy twice before. The first time was in March of 2023 for LassoCon 2.5, when Lucy was discussing her book, What Would Ted Lasso Do? And we were promoting this little podcast. The second time was a month ago, in November, when Lucy joined us on the podcast to discuss her new book, How to Be a Lioness, Not a Panda, and its connection to mentoring. Unfortunately, we had technical difficulties, and that meeting was not recorded. We asked Lucy for another try, and she did what Ted Lasso would do, and graciously gave us another chance. Previously on Teaching Like Ted Lasso. So today I thought we would talk about coaching. I was talking about how I felt like season three of Ted Lasso was a love letter to social justice. And they were pushing my thinking on that. And they said, why do you think that? And I said, well, because it would have been very easy for the writers on the show to avoid all those topics, right, that they covered. Some of the discussion and with other people we've talked to about this has been, do you see um, connections or differences between coaching and mentoring? So that's, I've never thought about this question, but I love it. Yeah. I don't know. What have other people said? Now I'm so curious. <laughs> Welcome. I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Warning. We expect that you've watched Ted Lasso. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. Lucy, welcome to Teaching Like Ted Lasso again. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. I'm still happy to chat and talk Ted Lasso till the cows come home. We often start with a silly question, much inspired by how Ted does on the show. Probably you recall, but this episode, it's what sport would you want to coach and what country would you want to coach it in? Okay. I've had time to think about that question now. Yeah. <laughs> well, inspired by Keely right at the end, where she suggests uh, a women's soccer team. I am not a person who is interested in sport, full stop, and it would have to be women's soccer because it's the only sport that I've got really hooked on, thanks to the Women's World Cup, understanding the importance of women playing soccer because it's a sport where women were banned for 50 years and that's extraordinary to me uh, that that should happen and so although it's a silly question that has become my sort of big chord because I learned that fact and I'm just still struck by how extraordinary that is and well which country well, it would have to be Britain really because they understand my humour. <laughs> Do you find you have trouble with your humour connecting here? Yeah well I quite often put my foot in it. <laughs> Yeah, I first learned about that they literally banned women's soccer in England watching Welcome to Wrexham. And that was sort of the the whole premise behind one of the episodes. And uh, it was like right after right after World War Two. Was that it? Uh, earlier than that. Ni- uh, 1922, I believe. OK, so after maybe World War One. Yeah, yeah. You were saying that it was. it's not because it like just never got started. But because it was no, no, no. too successful. The history of it is this. Prior to 1922, women and men played professional soccer. Um, women were actually really good at it. What they did when they, they'd raise money for matches, and they very typically would give it away in charity. 
the Football Association saw that women were making money at it and decided to ban it because they felt that the women's game threatened the men's game. They were taking money away from what could be potential earnings for the men's professional um, soccer. And all of this is relevant that it's happened in England because England is sort of like regarded as the birthplace of soccer. So they banned women. They got made this sort of they decided that they, they said, oh, well, it's not good for women. It's, you know, found various excuses. That ban then spread to other countries where they were playing soccer. So extraordinary number of soft, uh, uh, countries, Germany, Brazil, a lot of countries. I think there's like 18 countries where it became banned. And that ban lasted for 50 years. So it took us right up to the 70s. Why that was so catastrophic and why the Women's World Cup today is so significant is because that put the sport 50 years behind. So little girls were growing up without female soccer players to look to. It was not regarded as a thing that women did. And really, you know, kicking a ball around a field is something that everybody is pretty capable of doing. So this and this ban in various other countries ended the ban sooner. Then along comes the Women's World Cup. Even now, it's it's sort of like there's still a fight about how much women get paid, and it's sort of. But this has been significant because so many people got drawn in on it. So you mentioned the whole idea that this lack of role models that players had. We're talking about mentorship. That's the the current theme that we're we're exploring. And you wrote an article about mentorship, how the women in Ted Lasso inspire mentorship of other women. Tell us a little bit about the the role that you see of women in mentorship in Ted Lasso. And as a journalist, you did you did the journalistic work and and did even some more research. So how it's related to you know from TV life to real life. So TV has held up a mirror on society, hasn't it? I think that there are other TV shows that have done that. And they very cleverly sneak in a mentorship of a senior woman who gives a more junior woman a job. The following scene comes from season one, episode five. Keely, if any of the other players needed some branding work done, is that something you'd be interested in? I don't want you to offer me a job just because I was nice to you in the loo the other night. Why not? Men give each other jobs in toilets all the time. A sad statistic, which is how underrepresented women are in the boardroom. Women still typically, according to a research only last year, still pretty much make only 80 cents for every dollar that a man will make. Boardrooms typically have 25% will be women, but the rest will be men. I think I'm getting my statistics right, but it, there's a, still a huge gap. And why is that? And why is Keely and Rebecca so important? Because it, it the, there are not enough women in senior positions to pull up more junior women. So uh, men typically gravitate to sponsoring and mentoring more junior men because it just comes more naturally. And so if you've got 75% men and they're or pulling up other men, that statistic of women who make it to boards is never going to change. So you need to have women in more senior positions, and those women need to take the responsibility of pulling up more junior women. And there it is played out on television, and it, they make it fun, 
they make it, they normalize it. They make it seem like that's a perfectly reasonable thing to happen. It's a, it's a super strong feminist message, whether it was intentional or not. But I think it's really helpful in the workplace for all of us to see it as being perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah, it becomes an image that can that can just change the images that have been filled in from decades of of men in the boardroom and men presidents, you know, mentoring men in these subordinate roles. One never wants to back men into a corner or, you know, no. I'm talking to two lovely gentlemen here. <laughs> I think women have been shut out and I think it has been very hard for women to get up to more executive positions. The statistics speak for themselves and women there's enough research now to support the idea that women actually make terrific leaders. They score high on what they call uh, EQ. The, the sort of They lead very typically with empathy. They lead uh, in so many ways that are that create a better society. They're really great at making teams work. All those attributes that we see Ted have, actually women typically have. have. And yet, so there's this really weird disconnect so why are there not more women in leadership positions? Why is that? So, you know, people more cleverer than me have done sort of tons of research into it. And that's sort of why it's significant. Um, I, I, it is important um, that you get more women up there. Men don't need to be threatened by it. There's some, some statistics that if there was equality in the workplace, as in men and women, equal measures, that the world's GDP would increase exponentially. So everybody gains. There is no reason why, uh, there's no downside. <laughs> so, uh, and along comes a silly TV show, which isn't actually so silly, with this lovely message, and it's great. You have lots of strong female characters. Even May, right, owns the bar. How do you see these other characters sort of playing into this dynamic of mentorship? They are all strong women, as you point out. And this is a show that, that, that's packed full of men. I know that Hannah Waddington has spoken about how she calls it, they were, yeah, they were all a bunch of feminists in the writer's room. That comes across very obviously. Thinking of the other characters and the other women, I mean, the, the commonality is their strength. They're, they're all quite mouthy, strong women. They're not horrible. Well, Barbara, Keeley's assistant, has to be taken aside, which is so lovely. But actually, if you remember the thing, that so so Barbara is sort of a bit cruel to Shandy, who, who Keeley brings onto the, into her business, and Barbara is a little bit unkind to her. But then you see how Keeley deals with it. She takes her aside and she says, this is not the way we work. Let's believe in her. Let's see what happens when we both believe in her, which of course is a big Ted Lasso theme. But it's very typical that you don't just start shouting, you don't lead with your ego, it's just someone who takes up and takes someone aside. And the other thing, thinking about your question, is I think the other commonality is that these women are all fantastically loyal. They're all loyal to each other. Perhaps the exception again is Shandy, who goes a bit off the rails, but it is a comedy. You've got to have some comedy in there. <laughs> but Keely and Rebecca's loyalty to each other the idea that they support each other 
sassy supports Rebecca too. Those are very typical feminine traits. The other thing that really comes across is the friendship. So typically in Hollywood, so many films you see, if you've got two female protagonists, particularly in a cast, the rest is men, they'll be pitting each other against each other. And here are two women that actually support each other. They're still funny. They're still great characters, but they're supporting each other, which again comes back to that idea of normalising it, normalising it. And I think that is actually the reality. I think women do like to support each other. I was at a mentoring webinar uh, just a week or so ago, and they talked about how, especially thinking about inclusion for minorities, and this was all in academic context, that when mentoring stays like just on professional issues, it's not as effective as when mentoring acknowledges who the people are and what their experiences are. So it's really interesting to me how you say that and and that researchers are finding this, that that no, people need to have that that friendship, the personal connection to make the mentoring as potent as it can be. I mean, that's it's such a good point. So one of the things I think, John, you mentioned also came out of that webinar and Lucy, you brought up was the bi-directional nature of the, the mentorship. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I was researching this book. So having seen this idea of mentorship being played out on TV, um, I did a sort of quite, I read a lot of books on leadership, but I also spoke to quite a few people in business. And uh, one um, leader, uh, a lady who runs quite a big company, she said, she said, I absolutely get more out of mentoring than more junior person. She said, I learned so much for them. It's it's fantastically reassuring to see someone grow. It's it's satisfying to, to watch someone develop under your tutelage, your support, whatever you want to call it. And mentorships can be many things. I think that there's varying degrees to, to how much you help someone. But the point is, it's a symbiotic relationship. The more junior person will bring other ideas. They'll bring new knowledge. We're all struggling to stay afloat in this world of technology more junior people tend to have it more down than certainly crusty old people my age. But the point is, is that you're learning from them as much as they are learning for you. And that's a beautiful thing if it works. That's just so great. And Dave has made the connection to like our best mentor teachers when they bring student teachers into the classroom are, are people like that who are looking to, to learn from them, right? If they're not just seeing it as somebody that, that they're there to, to explain how it really works, right? They're, they're looking to uh, have somebody to talk about teaching with in the classroom there with them. Isn't that how ideas formulate? None of us were meant to be islands and just going, if we're left to our own devices and there's only me inside my head and you're not listening to anything else, it's a, it's a, it's a surefire way to shut things down. And also what I discovered in all this, this the research that I did as regards leadership is, is if you've got that 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 one boss who is so sure of, of himself or herself, let's just say, you've got someone who's absolutely sure that their decision is absolutely the right decision, they're not prepared to listen to anybody else, they're not prepared to in, even imagine that, that anyone else could have a good idea, then that, that, I mean, that has actually been proven to be absolutely disastrous in terms of product, productivity 
the, 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 all this research is out there now that you want to be listening to other people. Yes, listen to someone that's more junior to you because they're going to have fresh ideas. They're going to have new ways of thinking. And you cannot be left as a dinosaur. But if you are left there so assured that you are right, then you become a dinosaur. It's just a wonderful idea to help other people along. And I think that the people who help the most are usually probably gain enormously. They probably gain the most too. What's interesting as you're saying that, Lucy, is that you're describing early season one, Rebecca, right? It's her way. She has a very much a cut and dry and she's not, I mean, she's not listening to anybody. I would, I would imagine that Higgins would say it was a toxic workplace experience. She, I don't think she was interested in mentoring Keeley. The idea that Ted Lasso might be a mirror or maybe if it's even a funhouse mirror of of reality what what does the research say that i'll cut all that other <laughs> stuff i just said basically what does the research say well you don't need to cut i i, I like funhouse mirror that's a really good thought i haven't thought of that that's so great and there is research and lots of people again more qualified than me will tell you that if you are a junior and you're looking to be mentored you want to be smart about it you don't want to imagine that it's a free ride. That the mistake, just as there's mistakes from leadership perspective, there's mistakes from the junior perspective. If you're just looking for a mentor, I think that was in Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. I think she was the one who talked about it. In order to stand out, you need to be very useful, very smiling. You want to be the smiling person in the room. You need to be helpful. You stand out by being helpful. But if you are the kind of person that you're just sitting and hoping that someone will pick you out and give you a free ride, that doesn't typically work, as I understand it. That's not, that's just not the way it works. There are, of course, a lot of mentorship programs. So people have seen how successful there is. There's statistics which show that those people who have been mentored typically rise up a career chain faster. There's a lot to be said for it from a junior perspective, but you've got to be to be picked to be mentored, to be included. You've, you've got to stand out from the crowd. And so you can ask pertinent questions and you prove yourself useful and worthwhile. You do not want to be the moaning person. You do not want to, you want to be Ted Lasso, actually, is what you want to be. You want to be noticeably helpful, kind, brilliant, witty, and you're going to stand out like in the way that Ted Lasso stands out. That's going to get you the attention of a, of a boss who could maybe bring you, he'll see you, how useful you could be and bring you along. I'm not sure quite how to phrase this, but so you, <laughs> you know, you wrote the article and then you're delving into all this research on mentoring and leadership that kind of became the book, right? Where you saw, you continued to see parallels. Could you elaborate on that a bit? Okay, so I'm in a, a very lucky position. I've been a journalist all of my life. So you're always looking for interesting things. That, and so I saw that in Ted Lasso, this, this mentorship. I thought, wow, it's right there, right in front of you, right in front of my nose. And I write for this digital magazine, which is really about a lot to do with women's leadership. And so I did that piece for them. And then as I'm writing, I'm thinking, there is a whole load more to it. Did a bit of research because that's sort of what I do. So I could see you could turn it into a book. So I did. I turned it into this, which includes a lot of what we're chatting about, 
an entire section on soccer because of women's soccer, which I'm now obsessed with, but more importantly, to the, all this stuff in the, that happens in the workplace. It was revelatory to me in terms of statistics and everything that we're saying. You can multiply the, what Ted would call truth bomb, how difficult it is for women. You can multiply that if you are a woman of colour. So I mentioned that statistic, uh, women still getting paid 80 cents for every dollar a man. If you're a woman of colour, that would be 60 cents. And their representation in boardrooms is even less. That's important, I think. So in the, in the show, being a lion or a panda is kind of left, left open. Uh, but you see being a lioness as being kind of a powerful representation of what you're talking about. I do, I do. I, I is it is it left open? Oh, I think it's decisively a lion. You want as Rebecca says. The following is a scene from season one, episode two. Are you mad? Pandas are fat and lazy and have piss stained fur. Lions are powerful and majestic and rule the jungle. Try telling that to an elephant. Ooh, can't be an elephant. Mm-mm, lion or panda? Panda. Lion. What's black and white and red all over? I don't know what. A panda that gets anywhere near a f- lion. The answer. Lion. I think there's a strong feminist message that the writers put in. A lion is, is mighty and it's a ruler of the jungle and majestic and powerful. All of these things that, in fact, she is, as a woman leader, she is a leader of a club that is made up entirely of men. And she is this fabulously powerful woman. I think it's a, it's a shout out for women there. The other thing is, so then I did my research and I'm thinking about lions. And, and when you think about lions, that it's the lionesses that hunt. They have a society. They look after each other. They actually look after each other's cubs. There's this, this lionesses create this rather lovely, lovely society. And then the lions, the lions just sit back. <laughs> so it, that became a, the title. And I had to change it to lionesses. I don't know why Ted Lasso, uh, the writers didn't call them, you know, but there you go. It's, I think it's lionesses, <laughs> which also coincides with the name of the English football team. The women's soccer team is are called the lionesses. It was one of the early questions we that we asked on the podcast. And it was interesting because it was about 50-50. I think that's where John said it wasn't uh settled however when we ask why more people are interested in the play that panda engage in than necessarily the the regalness and i wonder if they'd said lionesses instead of lines if they we would get a different one that would be an interesting piece because both john and i have been tanzania and we've seen the role that you know the lionesses play compared to the lions i've seen the lionesses protecting and sheltering the cubs from the you know from the male lions because they're out to 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 kill them You've you've talked a lot about sort of the relationship between the uh, females and supporting mentorship, and as you, as you've mentioned, you're you're talking to a couple of guys here. We're in a profession that is around seventy five percent female. 
only about half are principals and then less than half are in our position where, you know, we're teaching teachers. I apologize for not having read your book yet. It's on my list for Christmas. I, like Nate's dad, am hard to buy for. So, you know, they, my, my kids and my wife were very happy that I had something on, on the list. Unlike Nate's dad, it's because I don't want anything, not because I don't like anything. Uh, anyways, so my question is, is there something that in your research you found that 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 men can do to support this change in ways of thinking about women in leadership? Yes, I think that there is. The idea of mentorship does not have to be same sex. There is nothing wrong with a man mentoring a woman, a more junior woman. And I think that's really what's what has been lacking previously. Anyone can mentor anybody. And I think that uh, Sheryl Sandberg says, said that. She, she wrote Lean In more than a decade ago and I think made that point and uh, I think still does. Until you've got more women senior in senior positions, that then we are reliant on men in senior positions helping women along. Well, and as you said, it's not, it's not competitive in that we're fighting over the same piece of the pie. What we're, we want to do is collaborate and make more pies. Right. It's, it's growing the pie, really, isn't it? When you wrote your first book, I don't know if you could have imagined that there would kind of be a second book along along the same lines. But, but how do you see this as growing out of kind of that broader philosophy of, of what would Ted Lasso do? Well, so, so so the first book I think was more obvious. It was the first book was about positive psychology, which I, I think that anybody who watches Ted Lasso can sort of see. But I saw it and um, put in a bit of research, so that's how the first book came about. Because Ted is this optimistic character, challenging situations come along, and he so he has a wife who wants to divorce him. He has a, a boss who initially is out to destroy his reputation. He has a stadium of fans calling him rude names. And yet he carries on smiling. He's very optimistic. He rolls with the punches. That comes back to a book called Man's Search for Meaning, written by Professor Viktor Frankl, who is a, an Auschwitz. He was an Auschwitz survivor. And he had this theory that how we, we choose our reactions. If bad things happen, we have a choice in we can sink or we can rise up. That philosophy, I think, was very much close to Jason Sudeikis, the, the co-writer of Ted Lasso. I think that was close to his heart. I've heard him give quotes and, uh, when bad things have happened to him. He said, you can either become 412 bones or you can rise up like an Avenger. It's the same theory. So that theory I found myself putting into a book what would Ted Lasso do? Because there's something we can all learn from there. I personally found myself in a parking lot with someone scraping the side of my car and remember thinking, well, what would Ted Lasso do? And I knew he'd be kind. We'd go, okay, let's not turn this into a drama. No expletives, which would be my normal course of events. So I changed my behaviour slightly because of a TV show, which is so stupid, but it happened. So anyway, the result was that it was not the end of the world, it's dead. But I ended up, and the lady was fine, it was all fine. 
But I ended up actually feeling good about myself. I had a, a, a dent in the side of my car, but I actually was feeling good because I hadn't been horrible. <laughs> and so that's what the premise was to turn into a book because if it affected me that way, and I'm quite cynical person if it had affected a tv show had affected me that way then maybe it, it was affecting others and maybe there was more to it so i researched what would ted lasso do put in a lot of psychology there was quite a bit of research that went into it and then that went out and people seemed to like it it won an award that made me think okay there's still so many more things in that in just a tv show to explore then i found myself looking at the women i'm a woman here i am <laughs> And I found myself looking at, at the two women of the show. And once again, you start doing research around the subject and it unearths so much. And it, I actually, I just have enormous respect for the writers of the show because they threw so many uh, ideas into it. And I can't think of another show that's done that in the same way. So I have read the What Would Ted Lasso Do? And it was fantastic. And you did have me hooked when you brought up Victor Frankl mostly because I was doing my doctoral work about 90 minutes from here. So I was listening to a lot of books on tape and Man's Search for Meaning was one of the books that I was listening to. And it probably is what kept me on track to, to end up doing my work and doing my defense because it was like finding purpose and working through that. So, so when you brought that up, that was uh, an important piece. There was also, when you talk about the, the positive psychology, it really connected with doing uh, this work called cognitive coaching, which is meant to be this idea of positive presuppositions. We go into a classroom, not to say oh, they're messing up this lesson, right? But you go in instead saying oh, they wanna do better, what is it that I can do to support them to help you do better in this idea? And you brought up in your discussion on the peanut butter and biscuits podcast. I love the idea that you talked about Ted Lasso being a, a life coach that as you were thinking about writing this, Ted Lasso would be the life coach. Like I say, I, I'm in this accident. What do I do? I guess one of the questions we're, we're curious about, do you see a difference between coaching and mentoring? Oh, that's such a good question, isn't it? Wow. I think I think I want to throw back that right at you and hear your answer. Hmm. <laughs> uh, well, they're sort of the same, aren't they? Oh, go on. Help me out here. What's your answer? Because I don't know. I think they are the same. Well, we've well we've asked it a lot of people, and I I started out where you were at. In fact, our the very first episode of this sort of series was us making the joke that they were the same. That coaching and mentoring were the feeling like they were sort of the same thing. They, they're they're supporting someone in terms of to getting better at whatever. However. Now, listening to a lot of people talk about it, and John in particular had a conversation with Dr. Nicora Plaka, who actually wrote a book on coaching, and she had a little bit different perspective. John, you want to share what that perspective was and, and maybe if that influenced or changed the way you think about it? I, I think it has. That mentoring, much much kind of the way that, that you've been talking about it, Lucy, is people who are sort of in the same boat, right? They're they're doing the same thing, they're collaborating. Coaches are uh, enabling other people to kind of do what they're doing to the to the best. There may be somebody who they can't 
they they can't do the work right ted can't play football even if he wanted to right he couldn't couldn't do what he's asking his players to do uh, but he can support them and organize and orchestrate and make resources available to them and get them reflecting on what they're doing out there uh, which is a is to me a little bit it's a subtle difference but i i i'm, I'm coming to appreciate it mm. maybe you really make me think here because there's the bit that that always stands out to me is keely consults with higgins the following is a scene from season two episode 12. i need some advice i'm i'm flattered that you came to me instead of ted or roy they're at training well, instead of Rebecca, then? She's the one I'm afraid of telling. I'm happy to be on the list. I'm scared. Well, look, that is perfectly natural. It can be terrifying becoming a boss. No, I'm scared of telling Rebecca I'm leaving. Oh, right, because she's so intimidating. No, she's one of my best friends. Ah, oh, yes, 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 yes. And you leaving would be a betrayal on a level usually reserved for Greek mythology. No. I just... I don't want to appear like I'm not grateful for the amazing opportunity she's given me here. Keely, a good mentor hopes you will move on. A great mentor knows you will. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, just made it up. Wow! So using that as the premise, can does that apply to a coach? I don't know, but I still don't know. But I, I, it's just an interesting idea, isn't it? It's all such good, good thoughts. For us to, all, to, to even be having this conversation is so helpful, I think, really. Your original point, I like the things that they have in common, right? I think that there's the collaborative nature. So even though um, Dr. Placa was talking about kind of it being more formalized, one of the big pieces in her book is about how much she's learned as a, in the process. So having that bi-directional piece even. So she's not going always, you know, disseminating, but but gathering a lot. So, the, so there's that collaboration. But even as John was talking, again, using the Ted Lasso as, as the mirror is, you know, so coaching is a pretty formal thing there, right? He's he's getting paid to coach. It's, you know, there's certain expectations of him as a result, but the mentorship aspect of it is much more of a sort of nebulous, I mean, could happen or couldn't. So maybe it's a little less formal in those cases. There are certainly places like here at Grand Valley, I'm a mentor for some junior faculty that might be closer to being a coach than a mentor, or at least having be, be more formalized. But but yeah, it, it does feel like a, a moving target. Well, there's also, um, there's also a difference, uh, a difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And people who sort of study this will argue that a sponsorship is actually giving someone another a job a mentorship can just be checking in and chatting it, it, i think if you're in hr there's a difference between the two things very specifically but people talk about mentorships for everything don't they but so again that perhaps helps with the differentiation oh so much good stuff i don't i don't know if you have time for like an off the wall question but despite the name of the podcast right we're most often talking to teachers who may or may not know the show so to get to talk to somebody like you who's 
who's a, a real Ted Lasso head. <laughs> were, were, did, did you like the resolution of the show? Or could you imagine a fourth season? My money is on there going to be something more. I've just written a piece actually just very recently. Let me to get back to the story of it. Could there be, there's so many, I think one of the directors said in the final, there were so many things that they put in place that could be opened up again. It's like they're keeping it in the family. I feel we're all part of that family. Here we are, the show finished however long ago it did, and here we are, we're still talking about it. I mean, it remains very big. In, I still enjoy watching it. I still watch it. If I'm feeling a, a, a need of comfort, that's my go-to. T and Ted Lasso. <laughs> I wonder, has there ever been a show that has sort of led to so much creative, I mean, so many podcasts, and and then you find books, and then you find somebody does cross-stitch, somebody paints rocks. It's created such a creative community. And I know that you've talked about that creativity for you is one of those areas of sort of mental health. I think that the most important thing about it is that actually it's had an impact on society. It's not just done the fun fair mirror. It's, it's actually had an impact. So one of the stories that I wrote about was talking to people who are fans of the show and how it's changed their lives. And that's, uh, I end up actually putting it a little bit in the back of the, my second book about how Ted Lasso has actually changed lives. And I spoke to people who had lost loved ones during the pandemic, and they found solace in this TV show. I spoke to a lady who, having watched Ted Lasso, found the courage to walk away from a not particularly healthy relationship, or not a satisfying relationship, I should say. And she had found Ted Lasso had sort of given her a sense of belief in herself. So, you know, we can all laugh at this sort of, you know, the silly sign that says believe. But I felt on this and I I put my sign up there because actually I think there is truth to it. And there's science behind it too. You know, these self-affirmations helps build self-esteem, build self-confidence. Confidence is not a fixed property and confidence affects everything that we do. So all of the, there's so much truth to it, and yet there's, so this TV show has come along and it's brought a whole load of people up. And I read an article where Jason Sudeikis was being interviewed and he gave such a lovely quote. And he said, I, he loved the notion about Boy Scouts leaving a campsite cleaner than when you found it. And he, as a philosophy, he took that on board. And I think that he did do that with this show. Um, he really did. I'm always just struck whenever I rewatch how rare it is to have a show about people who want to be better, making a good faith effort, trying to be better. And because that's, I mean, the most of the people I meet in real life, that's what they are. And that's, that's not what gets mirrored to us by most entertainment. That's right. That's right. What does one want out of entertainment? That's, that's a, such a good question. Just thought of it myself. There we are. But, you know, do you just want to be fed something passively or do you want something that's going to make you go away and think? And I think this show has made has made loads of us go away and think. And to come back to your point about creativity, it's proved inspiration to a lot of people. That's really something.
Well, and to that point, one of the things that we talk to teachers about all the time is this difference between entertainment and education. And again, there might be some overlap, right? We do want to engage students, and sometimes that requires being on stage, fulfilling a certain persona as, a, as an educator, but it's not enough. There are plenty of shows that I've watched that I couldn't tell you everything that happened in those shows now that I was totally entertained, but I did I don't remember a lot about all those because partly because I haven't had conversations about them. I, it doesn't, it doesn't inspire me to do more so that I go back and do that. And so how do we as educators make sure that we're doing more than just entertaining? And that requires this, that, that people feel like they can connect with, build on and create. I believe learning is a creative avenue. And so how do we do that? So we've taken a lot of your time, but I've come up with one last question I'd be interested in everybody answering. If you were going to have a mentor from one of the characters of the show, who would be your mentor? Oh, uh, I think, oh, I think it's have to be Rebecca. Rebecca? Yeah. Why? Because she's ballsy. And I, I think that's just great. That's, that's just great. Well, I mean, the obvious one is Ted, obviously, but there's there's a lot of depth to Rebecca. I, you know, I'd enjoy having her as a friend. What about you, John? Um, it's a tough call. Like Lucy was saying, Ted feels like kind of an obvious choice. But I think about Dr. Sharon. Uh-huh. There's some, something like that that she's able to to bring so much compassion while also like continuing to work on her own stuff. Uh, so I think I think I'm going to go there. I would have to say I think Ted would be annoying. I'm not sure I I would want Ted as a mentor. However. I would like Trent Krim as a mentor. I think that from a creativity standpoint and from just sort of he seems very knowledgeable, very worldly about, I would I would think I'd like Trent Krim. And I'm going to connect it because I've enjoyed talking to Lucy so much. I think that having a journalist as a, as a mentor and a friend would really um, brighten my life. Very nice. Well done there, Dave. See how I did that. <laughs> Podcast jujitsu. <laughs> so Lucy, thank you so much. This is this has been a pleasure too. I may have forgotten to hit record again so we can do this again. <laughs> this is just so low. I just like to meet with you on a on a monthly basis. So yeah. It, <laughs> to get to talk to you a second time was was really a treat. Thank you. Oh, bless you. It, it, you are so welcome. And, and thank you for inviting me to talk. Because honestly, as you can tell, you sometimes you just can't shut me up. <laughs> oh, well, you, like I said, you can talk to us anytime. So yeah, we really have a lot to say. Yeah, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate what you've contributed to the, the Ted Lasso universe. And I do hope that we get a chance to, to cross paths again. I hope you stay in touch too. Absolutely. It's lovely. It's a great pleasure. All right. Thank you. You can buy Lucy's books, What Would Ted Lasso Do? and How to Be a Lioness, Not a Panda on Amazon. You can also find more of her writing at www.lucybroadbent.net.
flashback to our live show at Math in Action. What would you rather be, a lion or a panda? Let's start by, if you'd rather be a lion, roar. Can we have a couple lions in the room? If if you'd rather be a panda, make the sound of what? Munching bamboo. <laughs> so we have a room of mostly, mostly pandas here. <laughs>